0: Good morning, First Baptist. I hope you all are ready to do some Bible study. You all ready to do some Bible study? If you are new to First Baptist Church, I'm so glad that you came. And, and if you're not aware of kind of how we do things around here, really, even though it's a fairly large church, a lot of people sitting in this room, we, we like to study the Bible, and uh, we're going to get into that today. So uh, hang with us and uh, <clears throat> pray for me. <laughs> You know next week i'm I'm wearing a pink shirt i'm confident in who I am <laughs> cracking voice and all y'all it happens it happens y'all <laughs> sometimes it never goes away. most times it does all right. all right, we are in a series, the month of September, and it is illustrated for you here. It is called Pillars and what we 're doing is we're just talking about some fundamental elements of the Christian life that will help bring support and guidance to your life things that will uh, keep the roof up, things that will keep things from crashing down on your life. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, probably you've been through some tough times where it felt like things were crashing down in on you. And really, if we will uh, be attentive to, to have strong pillars in our lives, okay, then, then what we'll find is that those things will be minimized, if, if ever at all, coming back into our lives on a daily basis. So um, what we've done already in the first two weeks is we've talked about the first two key elements of the Christian life being prayer and worship, and when we talked about those things, we talked about how really important those things are because what they do for us, prayer and worship, by the way, if you were to take the time to really study those things out, in fact, there are, it's, it, there are similar Greek root words that end up going into both of those words, prayer and worship. And the ultimate idea is, is because both prayer and worship involve direct, personal, intimate communication just between you and God. Now the fact that there's hundreds of us in one big room and for several minutes we've just been praising God and worshiping Him together, if it was truly worship, you as an individual were also just connecting with your Savior, although we were in a room together with everybody else doing it as well. And and prayer and worship really are hand in glove. They just go together and they're really, really very similar. Now today we're going to talk about the third pillar and it's all about discipleship. And, you know, spoiler alert, next week it's going to be missions, okay, just so you know. But when we look at these things about discipleship and missions, I think you're going to see that we're going to look at them just a little bit differently than maybe you have been accustomed to hearing about them um, in the past. So we'll spend the next two weeks doing that. The thing that I want to start out with is a sentence I have in your notes. It says, discipleship is a word that, well, most everyone anyway, uses, few understand, and I think even fewer actually practice. Now, if you've been a member of this church for any length of time, your initial reaction might be, what? Go preach that at somebody else's church because we're the discipleship church, right? I mean, we got that T-shirt. I mean, I got so many of them T-shirts. You know, I could, I could run it down for you, Jeff. You could sit down. And I could tell you about discipleship. Well, I hope that some of you truly could. And, and I'm sure that many of us have truly learned to grow and understand the biblical value of discipleship. But as we're going to look at it today, and again, we're going to look at it in just a little bit of a, a, a different way than typically is emphasized. Um, I think that a lot of people, I think a lot of you are honest, you're going to say, hey, you know, I never really thought about it that way. And so that's kind of where we're going with this thing. As, as we kind of get ramped up to see this, I, I want you to kind of hang with me. We're going we're gonna to build a case. The first thing I want to do is, again, going back to those first two values, prayer and worship, let's call those a vertical relationship. Because of our direct connection with God, because of that direct communion and interaction, when I'm talking to God and he's talking to me and we're in prayer or worship, whatever the case might be, that's a vertical relationship, me and God. Would you agree? Okay, well, with that in mind, it's interesting because as a vertical relationship, is it not fair to say that that really is the reason that he saved us? It's the reason he made available salvation so that we could again restore that right relationship with him? Of course, God loves us and and he so loves us that he provided a way that we could know him again even after our sinful fallen nature had separated us from him. And so that's our vertical relationship. It is the reason that he saved us. It is what he did to bring us back into the fold. And obviously, we're going to go to discipleship as missions as a horizontal or a lateral relationship. And so when we're going to talk about discipleship, and and we'll save missions for next week, but when we talk about this, basically we're talking about our interaction with others. We're talking about ministry is what we're talking about, right? We're talking about what we do because of our vertical relationship with God, what we do now to reach out into this whole world. And so it makes sense that we'd have a couple of pillars of our life have to do with our personal relationship with God and a couple of pillars of our life that have to do with how we live that out in a real world full of real people. And that's kind of what we're looking at in this situation. So if the vertical is the reason he saved us, the horizontal is the reason that he left us here after he saved us. Because if it was just about going to heaven You pray the little prayer and poof, there we are. You know, that would be cool, but it would not help spread the word to other people. And that's really what we're going to emphasize. That's really what I want us to understand when we come into this. And if you haven't thought about it before, at least consider this. Would you agree that it's virtually impossible for us to have any kind of an effective horizontal ministry without first having a healthy vertical relationship with the Lord? Because it should come as an overflow, should it not? And so that's why we covered prayer and worship first. And that's why now we're getting into these next two as we come into this one. Now, in order to try and set your mind, okay, I wanna set you up with, with a, just a little word game, okay? And this will help you probably to focus. And so um, maybe you've seen on TV, psychologists use this thing, first word association. So I say a word, and you say the first word that pops into your mind, Okay? Don't do it out loud. So, for example, if I said the word girls, okay, and I asked this audience of middle school boys, okay, maybe the, the first word that pops into their mind would be gross. <laughs> if I move over here and stand in front of high school boys and said the first word that pops into your mind, girls, awesome, or something to that effect, right? I mean, it's different depending on kind of how it hits you. With that thought in mind, the word that I'm asking us all, don't say it out loud, the first word that pops into your mind when I say the word, discipleship, a lot of people might think, lessons, Bible study, program, knowledge, And that's fair. Listen, there's all of that wrapped into the process of what biblical discipleship really is, but what I want us to understand today is that it's much more than just that. And First Baptist Church has enjoyed a rich history, well over 20 years, 25, I don't know how many years, long time, of understanding a level of biblical discipleship that has been put into place with a program that we use that institutes a number of lessons in booklets that help an individual take another individual to learn the foundations of the faith as they grow and and invest in their lives. And that's a wonderful program. It's a wonderful system. It's just a tool, okay, to help people grow. It's a wonderful tool. There's everything right with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to understand today, by the time we're done, that it is just a part of the bigger picture That really is biblical discipleship, and I felt like it was important for us as we kind of started off this new school year, our new season of ministry and focus at First Baptist Church, that we just consider the fact that when we hear the word discipleship, and for many of us, again, who have been here a long time, it's easy to begin to get dull of hearing. We hear the word and we're like, oh yeah, yeah, I got that. And we get dull of hearing, and my prayer all week long has been is that we would not be that way this morning, that we would be open and willing to consider what God has to say because I am going to propose for you today that even if you have faithfully completed this group of lessons, and right now they are a system of 16 lessons that you go through, that you have not completed being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have not finished your obligation of continuing to grow as a student of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you agree? There's more out there, and there's more for you to understand. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to understand. And so in order to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to see elements of his life. And what did Jesus do? Because if it was good enough for him, hey, it's good enough for us, right? And so that's what we're going to do. So how did Jesus teach his disciples? Well, first off, Jesus did it in multiple different ways, and I have it in your notes. Jesus taught, certainly, one-on-one. There were times when he pulled a particular disciple apart and he gave him a specific lesson. Uh, we're walking through the Gospel of John and we'll get back to that in October. Uh, but near the end of the Gospel of John, for example, we see Jesus pull aside Simon Peter after his resurrection and have a little discussion. Simon, you know, do you love me more than these? Pointing to a pan full of fried up fish. Uh, do you love me more than all these other things? He said, go feed my sheep. There's times when Jesus pulls an individual apart and he sets them aside and he says, look, I'm gonna give you some personalized instruction. That's important. There were times when the Lord Jesus Christ was publicly among the masses and he preached and he proclaimed and he declared truth on a public scale in front of very large audiences. He did that quite frequently. And the last thing is that he also did is he gathered a group of particular men and he spent an enormous amount of time with them in a small group. We typically call them the disciples or eventually the apostles, right? But there were many, many people who were disciples of Jesus Christ. We typically refer to the twelve. Okay, But he took them apart and he kept them together in a small group. And really the bulk of Jesus' earthly ministry as we read the narrative through the four Gospels is that this small group is really the primary method that we read more and more about than either of the other two. It really, really is. And I want to propose to you that all three of these elements, individual, large group, and small group, are critically important and they must work together to develop a healthy biblical discipleship. Uh, To the point such that if you were to ignore or leave out any one of those three or two of those three, that you're not getting the whole package. You are depriving yourself of the opportunity to grow. It is hindering your ability to be a fruitful disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here, again, in our church, it, it, you know, we've said it over and over again over the years. Some of you may be new, but it would be a mistake to consider discipleship just simply a program in the church. Uh, discipleship literally is God's great commission. The great commission is all about Making disciples. That's what it is. The work that he left for us to do after salvation is to go into all the world and make disciples. Nowhere is it more clear than in Matthew chapter 28, the end of that gospel, where it says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all, way even to the end of the world, amen. And so he says, go and teach All nations. Now, maybe you've been in churches and maybe you've heard me or others say that that word that is translated teach, the root of that word run all through the scripture, 98 out of 100 different times, roughly, will be translated as disciple. Go and disciple all nations. Go and make disciples, okay? So, for example, in your King James Bible, it says go and teach. And if you have a a different English version, it may likely say, because most of them would say go and make disciples. By the way, both are correct because the word disciple literally means to be a learner. And so in order to learn, somebody has to teach, okay? And so that's exactly what it means. And so it's absolutely fine, okay? Either way, it's absolutely right. So God's command, his great commission to us is go and teach or make disciples of all nations. cannot be just a program. It cannot be something that oh, I have the gift of discipleship. I don't, okay, I don't do that. No, we are all called, this is God's mission. This is his work. This is the pillar. This is why it must stand. This is why it's gotta be a part of our life if we're gonna hold the roof up. It's gonna be a part of our life if we're gonna actually have the strength and the guidance that we need to be able to have a healthy, fruitful Christian life. And you make disciples by teaching them, okay? So how is that, that we do that? Well, in those verses right there, It is further elaborated, and and maybe you've paid attention, and maybe you haven't, but let me direct your attention to where it says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And let's just talk for a second about this word, observe, because the word observe is a really good word, because again, if we go back and say, how is that word that is translated observe also translated in other places of the Bible to get the fullest meaning that God intended? That word that is translated observe, again, many, many, many times, well over 90%, probably over 95% of the time, is translated to keep or to obey. Okay? So it would go like this. Teaching them to keep or to obey all the things that I've taught you, Jesus would have said to his 12, or at this point, 11 disciples. Okay? However, the word observe is also used to literally mean what we would think of it, observe. Watch. Just watch. Okay? Okay? Now, I think that that's very important because that's what we're going to see as we get into this thing. We're going to see that this this dual meaning, this, this idea of observing all things, it has to take place in a small group because you have to be in a group of disciples for the younger ones to observe what the more mature ones are keeping. You see that? Teaching them to observe, teach them to, Watch us who are observing, keeping, obeying, and then teach them to keep it and obey it as they are coming through the system, okay? So that's what we're looking at. This idea of observing is critical to the application of discipleship. And so the title that I have for this is that that discipleship is a special community with God. So it's a community of believers. It's a community of disciples among one another, with God in the midst, with God in the midst. I have a dear friend that I haven't seen in years. I went to college with him when I got saved in college. And the way that he used to term it, he would say, Jeff, we need to develop, he would call it this, spiritual relationships with one another. The idea being, we don't need to just be friends that play golf and do things like that. We need to be friends that have our friendship based on Christ as the common bond between us. Because if Christ is the common bond between us and we are encouraging and challenging one another to grow, even if we're separated from each other for a number of years, when we get back together again, we can pick up right where we left off. Why? Because I continue to walk with Christ, you continue to walk with Christ, and we really don't miss a beat. If you don't have Christ in the middle of your relationships, then it's just a friendship. And that's fine. Friendships are wonderful, but you don't have to be a follower of Jesus Christ to have friends. Everybody in the world has friends, right? So we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about real biblical fellowship and the critical importance of living your lives intentionally together with other believers in a small group in order to fulfill the biblical requirement of discipleship. Let's keep that thought in mind. Just pray for a second. We'll jump into our outline. Father, as we consider these things, I pray that you would help us to see in your word What you have clearly revealed to us. God, teach us through the clear revelation what it is you want us to do. It's not just to gain the knowledge and say, oh, I see that fact, but each of us need to compare then our lives. As we look into your word, let it be the mirror of truth that reflects back to us how you see us and how each of us need to respond then as we look in the mirror and try and understand where we're at and what needs to be changed. Every morning we get up and we look in the mirror and we make sure that we look okay before we go out of the house. Today we're all in the house and we're looking in your mirror. And we need to make sure we look okay before we head out of here today. And I pray that you'd do that in Christ's name. Amen. All right, the first thing, and these aren't, you know, super profound. I mean, it's the simple stuff, but we're going to prove it, okay? The first thing is is that we are called to be disciples. We are called to be disciples disciples of the lord jesus christ like i said earlier the word disciple literally means a learner okay it's a student a pupil so the first place we'll look at very briefly matthew chapter 11 and verse 29 the bible says this jesus speaking and actually he is before the masses when jesus is saying this he doesn't just have his disciples in front of him he's in front of a large group of people that have all gathered on a hillside and he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So this is a very general calling. Jesus is preaching. He's out in front of the masses and he says, hey, take my yoke upon you and come and be my disciple. Come and learn of me. We would equate this to a call to salvation, like an invitation prayer at the end of a sermon or something. We say, come to Jesus Come cast your burden on him. Let him carry the burden with you as the yoke fellow, the person who can help carry your burden. And, and cast your care upon him and come learn from him because everybody who ultimately responds to Jesus Christ in salvation is also instantaneously called to follow him as a continuing student of his life, to be a pupil, to be a learner, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be disciples. But beyond that, then, Jesus then grabs from this general crowd a smaller group, okay? And I want you to really pay attention in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. What well, we got here? Hang on. I'm going to a microphone on that. Y'all ready? If it wasn't Wayne, I wouldn't embarrass him. Okay, Mark chapter 3 and verse 13 is on the screen. Jesus Christ, and he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, and he ordained 12, notice, that they should be with him. And then he might send them forth to preach. So among this greater group, Jesus goes, he prays, he selects 12 men. And he calls these 12 men. And what does he call them to do? I think it's very important the way God inspired the writer to give to us. He called them, Yes, to be disciples. Yes, to do a lot of things that we'll fill in the blanks later. But really, above all, you cannot miss the fact that Jesus called these men to be with him. To be with him. I feel like I need to say that like seven times in a row and just let it soak in. To be with him. Think about how that hits you. He called these men to be with him. And so what... We have done and others have done is we have made up a word. How about that? We're going to call it withness. It's not a typo. Withness. Okay, Jesus came to promote witness, but also withness. Okay? And withness, I will define for you as experiencing God together experiencing God together each of us have an individual relationship with Jesus Christ it's precious it's wonderful we also should have a community of people that are doing that together okay withness as you're thinking about this let me ask you a question how in your mind how do you picture how Jesus Christ pulled that off your understanding of Christ's life through the gospels, his his three and a half year ministry on earth, how do you picture how that played out? Maybe you saw a version of the Jesus film or something like that, maybe just from the narrative as you've read the scriptures, but probably you're picturing Jesus has got these twelve guys, they're traveling. They're going wherever they're going. They're walking. They got the robes and the sandals and and, and they're just living life together. They're eating together. They're praying together. They stop every so often. They're talking about life. They're teach. He's teaching them. Jesus is doing miracles. These guys are watching. Jesus begins to give them stuff to do. They begin to participate. Eventually, Jesus gives them things to do to go out on their own. They come back and report how they did. I mean, these guys are probably, you know, in the desert walking around. I picture them, you know, they're tired. They lay down and sleep on a rock. They get up and they keep going. You know, I mean, it says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, right? I mean, they're just kind of living their life. They have literally forsaken everything about their normal daily schedules, And they just follow Jesus around everywhere he goes. Do you kind of picture it that way? I know you're afraid to say yes because you're thinking I'm going to make you do that. But that's kind of how you picture it, isn't it? I mean, they're just following him everywhere. And I think that that's true because at the end of the day, I say we characterize this idea of withness. Jesus called them to be with him. These 12 men, whatever they did, however that played out, they spent an enormous amount of time with one another, with Jesus, They spend an enormous amount of time with each other and with Christ in the midst of that. That's witness. So obviously, we immediately think of that, and we're a little nervous, and we probably wouldn't say it out loud, but we're thinking, yeah, that, I ain't doing that. Who can do that? We're, I mean, we got jobs. We're busy. We got stuff going on. I could not possibly live a life, anything like that. Well, let me just talk about that for a second, because first off, you need to understand something. Okay, first, first off, let me say, hold your fingers like this and breathe. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, just breathe, it's all right. There is a cost to discipleship. Understand that. Understand that there is a cost to discipleship. The root of the word that makes disciple is the same root that makes the word discipline. Okay, it requires some discipline without a doubt would cost you something to spend enormous amounts of time with other disciples, with Christ in the midst. It, by the way, cost these men something as well, right? They left their careers, fishermen, tax collectors, whatever they were, they left their careers to follow Jesus. I don't know if they were all married. Some of them were. Peter was, right? Some of them were. They probably left significant amounts of time with their families, with their friends, so that they could spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, there's a historical context, uniqueness of Christ physically on earth. I get that. Nevertheless, I just want you to understand it cost these men in real life something. It's something that they chose to do. He called them to follow him, and they said yes. They could have said no. They have a free will, okay? He doesn't force them to come. And with that in mind, I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse number 28. Luke chapter 14 and verse number 28, because here the context is discipleship, and I want you to understand this idea as we start in Luke fourteen twenty-eight. Jesus says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Okay, so those are illustrations. Building a building going to war, you have to count the cost to make sure that you can actually finish the task you began. All of that is to illustrate the point he's trying to make in verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, notice, he cannot be my disciple. Discipleship has a cost. It has a cost. Okay, that's, that's all I want you to get right here. So you're thinking, maybe, as I would have been, Okay, great. If all I had to do, with all due respect, okay, to whatever anybody does for a living, if all I had to do was catch fish and Jesus Christ physically walked by, I'd leave the nets too. I I think I might say that. But he's not here, okay? So, you know, I got to go to work at the factory. I got to go to work, whatever. I got to do what I got to do. I just want to remind you, again, the Word of God, our authority, the revelation, all the knowledge of eternity here for us. Jesus does manifest himself physically today, not in some miraculous dream, vision, craziness that somebody might think, but the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus Christ physically when he left this earth and ascended to the right hand of God the Father replaced himself with what he literally calls his body. You know what that is, right? 1 Corinthians 12, it is the church. The church is the body of Christ. Now, if you would have been around 2,000 years ago and and saw Jesus Christ and, and noticed how he in his physical body behaved, it would have been perfect. When you look around here, it is not. There's no question about it. Nevertheless, he did say, this is my body, the church. And in other places and times, we've studied how really the Bible itself is the very mind of God. It reveals His will. It, it, it shares with us His very thoughts and emotions. We could say the Bible is God's soul. And if you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence inside your previously dead human spirit, has given you new life in Jesus Christ, so you have God's body, soul, and spirit all available to you today even in a physical manifestation, less than perfect, of the church that is calling you to discipleship. I don't know that it's all that different. It's just taken on a different form, it's taken on a different look. You've got to get that. You've got to understand the importance. You've got to realize that Jesus Christ was not kidding, He was not just giving us a picture, He literally was communicating to us how we are to behave. And remember, discipleship is the great commission. It is our job. It is our duty. It is a command. It is not multiple choice. It is not just if you have time. This is the reason he left you here to breathe free air after salvation. So I ask this question. In the context of discipleship today, what would you have to change or give up in order to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Will you arrange your schedule so that you can spend your life together with other serious-minded believers of Jesus Christ, with Jesus in the midst. Because if you will do that, it will help you. <laughs> You'll grow. Now, in our church, we strategically plan and organize opportunities for each and every one of you to be a part of a small group community. And I realize that there are unique small, small percentages of people whose schedule just absolutely will not allow because the times when the groups meet are the times that they have to be at work. But the vast majority of us have that time free, and we call those life groups in our church, okay? And and this is not going to be a big commercial about life groups. All I'm trying to do is just communicate to you the biblical value and the importance in the picture of being a disciple, is the idea of a community, a special community of believers. It's not just me and one other guy. It's not just me and Jesus in front of a book. That is a part. Another part is also this community, and that is really, really important. It is the way, as you live life together, that you observe okay, all of his commandments. The younger ones can watch until they learn by watching. The others do it, living it out in front of the others. And can I just remind you, because I think this is so important, this community of believers, you gotta hear this, it cannot be just you and your favorite Christian friends. It cannot be that. I'm glad you have faith. we all have favorite friends, absolutely. But that is not the fulfillment of the biblical value, Why? Well, please look with me. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 21 will pop up on the screen. I charge thee, I give you a charge, he says, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe, there it is again, these things, notice, without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. I, like you, am partial to my better friends. There's nothing wrong with that. But in order to apply these elements, I have to be able and willing to exercise them in front of people that I don't necessarily prefer. Therefore, I grow. I grow to be more like Jesus Christ while I do that. You've got to see that. If you're not utilizing that available resource, it's hurting you. It's hurting you and it's hurting the representation that Jesus Christ desires from his body. So we've been at this for a while now and people honestly respond in different ways. Some might say, yeah, I've tried that. I tried the life group thing and I didn't get nothing out of it. There was nothing I didn't already know. Well, bless your heart, really. I mean, thank God for the mature person that you are. Can I ask you to consider, if that might happen to be you, can I ask you just to consider committing to be a part of a community of believers, not to get what you can get, but to give from the wealth of resource apparently you have, since nothing new can be taught to you? (laughs) Was that sarcastic? I did not mean to do that. Did not mean to do that. Darn it. Forgive me. Sorry. Mark chapter ten and verse forty-five I ought to nail it for you. Let's just try and be like Jesus. What do you say? Mark ten forty-five. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to take no, give His life a ransom for many. Let's do that. Let's do that. We're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And discipleship includes all the elements of interpersonal interaction. So you've got the big group, you've got a small group, and you've got some individual attention. Okay? If you are not currently participating in all three, okay, your discipleship status before the Lord Jesus Christ is suspect. If you are, and by the way, a lot of people are, praise God, we are ever-increasing numbers of people that are understanding this value and getting plugged in. Praise God for you. Again, I understand just showing up and checking the box next to your name does not guarantee you're really living it out. I get it, but they're making an effort. And more and more people are making that effort. You're in the right place. Even if your attitude or heart isn't quite exactly tuned the way it needs to yet, you're in the place to get it. And praise God for that. All right, we're called to be disciples. Second point, we are commanded to make disciples. Again, go back and review a little bit. We're gonna go back to the Great Commission. We are commanded to make disciples. Go ye therefore and teach or make disciples of all nations, teaching them to review, uh, to observe, I'm sorry, whatsoever I've commanded you. And going back to Mark chapter three, we saw this before. He ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. And so there's an element, yes, that we need to live it out and grow in our own lives to this point and we need a community of people around us to be able to fulfill that. But if you feel as though you are growing, if you feel as though you are getting mature enough to stand on your own two spiritual feet, if you feel as though you really have something to offer, then you also, by the way, are commanded, it was the 11 disciples from the small group that had spent three full years in some, with Jesus Christ that before his ascension after his resurrection he left this great commission. And he said, by the way, go and do this. Do this for others as I've done for you. So once you learn to be a faithful disciple, it's your turn to go and make other new disciples of Jesus Christ. By the way, it needs not be said, I guess, but I'm going to say it. They're disciples of Jesus. They're not my disciples. They're not your disciples. I mean, our job is, think, we're, we're here to make students of Christ, not students of Jeff, right? Where would that get them? So that's what we're supposed to do. So if we're going to do that, doesn't it make sense that we got to do it the way he did it? That's why we go back to the Gospels. That's why we go back to the life Christ lived. So what does that mean? Well, it means we open up our lives and we invite people in. We open up our lives, we carve out time in our schedules, and we invite other people to live life with us. Not necessarily just your best friends. That's where the growth comes in. That's where the challenge comes in. We we willingly do that. And fewer and fewer people are willing to do that today. Why is that? Well, there could be a lot of reasons, but I fear that an ever-growing reason is that people just don't want people too close. They don't want people to look behind the curtain. We don't want people to really see what our life is really all about when we're not all just dressed up and smelling nice at church on Sunday, which, by the way, I appreciate. We're not really all that enthusiastic about people really be involved in our lives on such a regular basis that they might actually be around when I blow it and lose my cool. We don't want to be held accountable. And that's a tough thing. But isn't that level of accountability, isn't the fact that you know that there are some people around you all the time, isn't that the accountability that we really need in order to keep us straight sometimes? I know it should be enough to just say, I know Jesus is watching and that's enough and I'm going to make the right choices, but it's not always enough in our daily real lives. Come on. The fact that I got a buddy standing right next to me, I am not going to get mad and cuss at a dude in traffic if my friend is in the car with me. Now you're wondering, does he really do it if he's alone? (laughs) That's the question we all should be asking ourselves. Would we do it if we're alone? Therefore, is that not the accountability we need? Therefore, doesn't it make sense? Do you realize the levels of sin that Christian people, good Christian people, can get into when they're isolated? And when you hear these terrible stories of good people that have fallen into wicked sin and you track backwards just a little bit, you find that previously for a period of time they have distanced themselves from God's people, God's word, God's church, and they're alone, and vain imaginations build and they fall. It's what we need. It's on purpose. So John the Apostle writes in his letter, 1 John, Chapter number one and verse number three. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, the apostles. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So it's a small group of people with Jesus Christ in the midst. It's a spiritual relationship. That's what it is. And so it's an important thing. And John writes it saying, look, you guys are welcome to join the fellowship of the believers with Jesus Christ as the focus of what we do. Uh, It's not, you know, the the sports fans get together and go to a stadium to cheer their favorite team and they're together and they're having fun. That's fine. That's an activity. But it's not fellowship. It's not the special community that becomes a critical portion of our discipleship experience. So the question, obviously, for us to consider, are you indeed a disciple of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you're saved. But are you truly a disciple, based on what we're learning, of Jesus Christ? And if so, do you want to make disciples for Jesus Christ? I I think most of you do. If you want to do that, bring people with you. Let them observe you doing, observing, everything Christ has commanded you. And doing that, and by the way, they can watch you fail and then fix it and they'll learn because they're disciples and disciples are learners and they'll learn. That's what we have to do. We learn while we're doing. That's the whole strategic backing of why we do life groups. It's critically important. People need a living example. Yes, we say, I follow no man. I follow Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, try that out. Without another human being to support you and to help you and to love you and to pray for you and to be with you and to care, it's just really, really, really hard. The Apostle Paul himself said, be followers of me as I also am of Christ. Listen. Listen we should be able to do the same thing. If we have grown to a level of maturity, we should be able to look at somebody else and say, I'm not Jesus, obviously, but I'm heading the right direction. And if you follow me, you'll be doing all right too. You'll be doing all right too. People need that. That's why it's in there. Some of our life cannot just be learned in a book. It cannot be learned in a lesson. It cannot be learned sitting in a big room just hearing somebody talk to you. Some of life needs to be, as we say, caught rather than taught you just catch on by watching other people do it it's observing that's exactly what it is so what i'm going to do is i'm going to run you through a little list and, and these are the one another commands of scripture okay and, and we're going to do a little rapid fire okay we're going to go through this thing but but just so you know there's a lot of places in the new testament where the lord command are commands by the way it's not optional These are commands, okay? And he uses literally the term. So if you have a concordance or a computer program, you just look up one another and see what pops up. There's a lot of them, okay? And I I summarize them for you. The one verse I want you to look at, just a kind of an overview and a launching pad, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, what is it? That ye love, notice, one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my what? Disciples, how? If you have love, one to another. So, we're going to kind of elaborate on what love might look like, comparing all the other places. And verses are just going to be flying. Man, this screen's going to start smoking. It's going to be coming so fast, okay? Try and keep up. Do the best you can. Be kindly affectioned to one another. That means not just love, but like them. Be like-minded one to another, thinking the same things, right? Receive ye one another, which wouldn't be hard if they're all your best buddies. You like receiving them. You have to maybe trust Christ to receive somebody who's tougher to receive. Care for one another. Serve one another. Be kind. Be forgiving one of another. How about this? Submit. To one another. Well, some people I don't mind submitting to. Other folks, yeah, right, no way. <laughs> Teaching and admonishing one another, comfort one another, edify one another, or build up, literally, to exhort or encourage one another, provoke, you trying to keep track of the references? Good luck. <laughs> provoke to love and good works, uh, have compassion one of another, show hospitality to one another. Awesome. I mean, who doesn't want more of that in your group? Who doesn't want to surround them? Imagine your life being lived out with other people doing those things together. Sign me up, right? You have real needs in your life. I have real needs in my life. I have real problems in a real world full of sin. Okay, This world is sin-laden, and we're trying to make our way through it. And we need people around us that will love us and care for us and support us and be kindly affection to us and be hospitable to us and pray for us. That's what a small group does. That's what it does. And so our church is not unlike any other church who occasionally would get a phone call, for example, and somebody might be disappointed because they would say, I've been sick. I was in the hospital. Nobody came to see me. Nobody cared for me. Nobody called me. And maybe, for the sake of this discussion, let me just say, that person's not involved in a small group. They're not involved in ministry. They just kind of show up on a Sunday and they leave and maybe nobody knew you were sick. Maybe nobody knew you had a need. Maybe nobody was aware of the fact, except for your close family, and nobody told us. Maybe. But if you're involved in a community of believers regularly and consistently and you open up your lives to them, they're going to be aware when things are going bad in your life and you have needs and so somebody's in the hospital and somebody else rallies to watch your kids and somebody else helps cook your meals and somebody else cuts your grass and they're all rallying around and encouraging and praying for and helping with all the needs of your life and that is Christianity. That's what he intends. That's being a disciple. That's growing to be like Christ. If you devoid yourself of that community then those things are not necessarily going to be available to you. So, again, that's why you can't just... Now, some, a lot of you have a lot of friends. You're friendly folk. Maybe your good friends are enough to take care of cutting your grass or watching your kids, and that's all fine. But biblically, let's, let's just... Ah, oh, let's just go back to the Bible. It can't just be your friends because let's conti- we're, we're not done with the one another list, by the way. There's more. Don't judge one another. Don't be puffed up or proud one against another. Forbear. That's kind of like put up with. (laughs) And while you're doing that forbearing, speak not evil. Confess your faults one to another. How about this? I love this last one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We just need to practice that. (laughs) Next meet and greet we have. Uh, You know, in the Middle Eastern world, and I lived in Albania, I mean, this is very common in a lot of countries where Guys will kiss each other on the cheek or something like that. The whole point is this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The idea is it's, it's, a, it's a, a sign of affection. If you're hacked off at somebody, it's really hard to go up and kiss them on the cheek. I mean, that's what he says do. And you have to learn to grow to be like Christ by doing that. Maybe with people who aren't your faves. You know what? It's funny. Now, I went through this list really fast and I didn't put them in your notes and I didn't give you the references and I did that on purpose. And I did that because, first off, I told you how to go recreate it. If you want to, you just search these things it'll pop right up. If you need help doing that, ask us. We'll help you, okay? If you don't care enough to bother, we just saved paper and ink. If you don't care enough to recreate the list, by the way, if you recreate the list yourself, you'll learn more. If you have to go to somebody and ask for help, that interaction will cause you to learn more. You see? That's why I didn't put it in there. If you don't bother, it's, it's a free world. I don't care. Well, I kind of care. But it's up to you. I mean, it wouldn't matter anyway. So you decide. Because true biblical discipleship is more than just a set of lessons. True biblical discipleship is not something that you finish and move on. I'm done with that. I remember 20 years ago when that group came here from Kansas City. I'm done with that. now. I'm done. No, not biblical discipleship. No. You did okay for a while, but I don't know where you're at now. God's number one ministry for each and every one of us is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. That's what we are to do. And if you are what the Bible calls a baby in Christ, a very newborn, young believer, you don't know much yet, you're still learning, great. When, when you have a baby, what you need is personalized, individualized, one-on-one attention. Typically, the mother does that. Okay, so you have individualized attention for the babe. In Christ, we have one-on-one discipleship. With all due respect, let's just call it Baby discipleship. Because we're giving individual attention to this individual who needs to grow to the point where then they can contribute as the part of a family and a group that they were born into. All the elements are critically important. And when you're old enough to be able to do it, then you help somebody else with individual attention while we are living our life together. Do you see that? It's a biblical value. We're observing all these commands. Can you see why that's a pillar in your Christian life? Can you see why if that's missing from your Christian life that maybe things are a little rocky, maybe they're a little shaky? But if that is an established pillar of your life, man, you're going to be strong. Your foundation is solid. You've got strength and support And you're a help to other people. You're like Christ. So the application we're going to look at is this. Count the cost. Listen. You have choices. You have choices in life. Make the right one. In this case, make the right one. There are three priorities. And you need to make them priorities in your life. By the way, somebody once said this. I love this. You don't choose between priorities in your life. Well, my family's a priority. My job's a priority. My kids are a priority. Of course those are priorities. If something qualifies to be a priority in your life, you are not allowed to choose between them to the exclusion of the other. Priorities are not to be chosen between. Priorities are to be balanced You don't choose between priorities. You balance priorities and make these three things priorities in your life. Be in church every week. In other words, get the teaching that you need. We start at 9 a.m. every Sunday morning and we go till 12. Just block out every Sunday as 9 to 12 and come on, get the teaching that you need. Be involved in a life group. That small group setting And get the accountability that you need. By the way, that is also the place where we do all of our local community ministry outreach, which you also need. We need that. Get the accountability. Get the ministry that you need in a small group and be involved in one-on-one instruction, either as the student or the teacher, depending on where you're at. Get the personalized focus that you need because some people need they absolutely need that that's why we have that it's wonderful that's really important and just a second the band's going to come up we're going to sing one last song but we're going to pray together and as we do this I just want you to honestly assess how you think you're doing being a disciple making disciples has there anything that's been hindering that in your life Maybe you just need to confess that to the Lord. Be honest. Maybe you need to repent of something. Maybe you just need to determine, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make these things priorities and to balance them in my life. And if you're here and you would say, look, I don't even know if I'm saved, just like Jesus on that mountainside when he shouted out at the beginning, look, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He calls everybody to begin this discipleship process with salvation. Maybe you're here and you're not sure you're saved. Let's just dedicate and commit our lives to him now. Let's pray.